The F-Type Jaguar, only from Jaguar. The F-Type SVO, the most powerful series production Jaguar. 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 Ooh, that was good. That sounded like him. I know. Guys, I've done a lot of voice work in my time, and (laughs) some of it has also been voice mimicry of like Paul Rudd or Andrew Rannells. I actually weirdly did a- Oh, that's funny. You couldn't do this cartoon at one point. And I was like, oh, okay, guys, I'll do it. Oh, my God. That's not what it he was, sounds like. <laughs> no, it's not at all. But, like, if I heard his voice, I could actually do it back. And they were like, yeah. oh, that's really good. That's and then awesome. I, like, sl- over time, over, like, four or five episodes of this cartoon on Nickelodeon, I, like, transitioned back into my own voice. And they were like, can you sound more like Andrew Reynolds? And I was like. Oh, sorry. Oh, I was like, oh, damn it. I was really trying to just really, like, incept myself into this fucking Nickelodeon curse. And then they were like, okay, thanks a lot. We're just going to go ahead and write that guy off. I was like, <laughs> bye. The F-Type Jaguar. I'm trying to do my Mark Strong all episode long. You might never guess from that intro that this podcast is called Take Me to Coffee and it's a mentorship podcast. For the doers, the builders, the people who are making things from the ground up. I don't know about you guys, but I think the best part of a coffee date is getting personal with someone who's been down the road before you. So this podcast is your weekly chance to pick the brains of some super smart people like... Mark doesn't do bits. (laughs) (laughs) You know what Mark does do? He acts like a sponge on the ocean floor and soaks up a whole lot of inspiration from voices and people on this podcast. You're so weird. This entire episode will be brought to you by the voice stylings of Mark Strong, a.k.a. your host, Andrew. It's me, guys. I know oh you thought God. I was a prolific British actor, Mark Strong, but it wasn't. I'm so surprised I didn't even know. You didn't realize. Do you think that other people know who Mark Strong is? Am I the only one who didn't know who that was? I don't think so. I think there's a lot of people out there, especially if they've seen some of the movies that he's, he's done. Um, such movies as Kick-Ass, Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Spy, in which I played the Taylor. I'm kidding. I don't know if he actually played the Taylor. That's, that's so insane. <laughs> How about now? If I was like Mark Strong to talk to you like this all day, too much, it's going to get a whole lot weirder. Just wait until we introduce our next guest. Music, please. What? Um, anyways, where are we at? No, I want to know what you've been up to. Why can't you follow a script? Can I? Oh, I'm going to fire you again. I get fired. I've been fired three times just today. <laughs> and we've only recorded two things. I feel like I'm, I have like the, the worst employer rating. If I was to go on like a monster.com or some kind of a like, like a LinkedIn or something, I have like a terrible rating just from this one job employee? alone. Yeah. I mean, am I not an employee of this podcast? Well, no, I just didn't know if you were saying you were going to give me a bad rating because I fired you so many times. Yeah. I mean, you're going to get a bad boss rating. Don't we? Doesn't it go both ways? Isn't like an Uber situation where I can rate you, but you can also rate me as a customer? I'd be like, that guy's like a dick. Fucking two stars. With the two of us, it's just a race to the bottom. I, I imagined a split screen. We're both on our phones facing each other in the split screen. And we'd like the quickest, like lowest rating we can possibly Who can fail the fastest? <laughs> yeah. Right? I'm going to beat you because everything's a competition, even when we're going down. I wonder if there is someone who holds the Guinness Book of World Records for failing the fastest and if that person would come on our podcast. I thought you were going to say who holds the Guinness record for going down on people. 
That's what I okay. thought you were going to say. Who's sexual now? He always, if you haven't been listening to the podcast, you can listen back. And Andrew always accuses me of going to dirty places with jokes. It's actually a fun little I... drinking game that we I enjoy playing, <laughs> sometimes with coffee, most times with booze. Um, I listen back to the podcast sometimes and I'll be like, how many times has that so- A, sounded sexual or B, just been an out and out sexual <laughs> comment from <laughs> Jess Ryan? But I You're going to be fucking clear. wasted by minute seven of the, of the podcast. <laughs> For the record... Not on this episode. I was just talking about the Guinness Book of World Records. Oh, it's just because we just started. This is the intro to this episode. Of course we haven't gotten there yet. I'm so glad you believe in me. I do believe in you. I believe in everything that you do. Jess, what have you been up to lately other than doing sexual things? Uh, Interesting you should ask me that, Andrew. Uh, uh, As our uh, listeners are soon to find out, I am not on this episode at all. (laughs) I'm nowhere to be found. Can you tell us why? I want to hear you improvise a reason why I'm not on the episode first. Oh, man. Here we go. We ready for story time? Do we have story time music or some kind of a crackling fire sound effect? Because it's going to be a tale of horror. She was a woman out in the woods. She was a woman out in the woods. There she goes up and up goods. Selling her goods. That what? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense at all. Anyways, so this is a tale. This is a tale of a woman trapped between technology and the environment. She's a woman on her own, left alone on an asphalt highway, trapped like a rat, doors closed, eyes open, radio on, no internet to be found. How does someone survive? She doesn't read books. That's the story. That was my story. (laughs) That actually made it so, A, I would like everyone who's listening to know that 95% of that was factually accurate. <laughs> B, it made it sound so much more interesting than it actually was. Just, that's what happens when it comes out of my mouth. Here's what happens. <laughs> that's I can't two even for take you. myself seriously two sometimes. For you. I'm sorry. Two gross, I'm sorry. dirty jokes for you. None oh. for Jess. All right, maybe anyway. you play that drinking game now. How many episodes can we get through? So, I'm not in this episode. Because I took a road trip this summer from Colorado to Wyoming to Oregon to California. And uh, shit's real busy. So I, you know, was trying, I was trying to juggle everything. And I didn't know my driving schedule on the road trip because I was doing it by myself. Uh, And so I hadn't blocked my calendar out. And this episode got scheduled in for what would amount to 6 a.m., um, on the third day of my road trip, uh, which is fine. I was like, cool, I'll get up early and do it in the hotel room. That's totally fine. Mm-hmm. What I didn't realize was going to happen is that I had accidentally decided, because I didn't know what I was doing, to stay the night in Burns, Oregon, which is the place that the fucking militia like took over the wildlife refuge last year or two years ago. And then all right. those crazy dudes with their guns came from all over the United States to protect the wildlife refuge. That's the town I stayed in. And it was scary. No offense to anyone who's listening from Burns. I did see some really cool like coffee shops and breweries and stuff. Um, that sounded so bougie, but it was really scary. I stayed in a day's end pavement. Uh, it was terrifying. Uh, there was a guy muttering about Jesus and Satan to his mom and his heart was tired. Mama, my heart is tired, but he is not going to win on my watch uh, in the parking lot. And uh, I don't know where mom was. She certainly was not standing next to him and he didn't have wow. headphones in. So it was, yeah, I locked myself in my hotel room. It's like, this is fine. It's fine. Uh, just get up really early in the morning, do the podcast episode and get out of here. Got up at 530 in the morning, 
Internet's not so good in Burns, Oregon. Not so good. Tried to connect with you guys. Didn't happen. And then I was like, I just got to get out of here before I die alone in this day's in. <laughs> and so I just left. That is not how I imagined it going down. <laughs> Jesus, that was dark as shit. Yeah, it was crazy. God, I thought it was just a, I didn't realize it was a tale of like, misbegotten woe and like crazy like this sounds like a fucking american horror story episode for for like tech geeks with no internet yeah that well that's the problem is that i love that stuff and that's exactly what was going through my mind because also what i didn't say is that i had pulled into my parking spot at this day's end that i had no idea was more like a motor home which i try to avoid as a woman traveling alone you know what i mean because it's just like a little i don't know i just want to be safe um so i'm like unloading my car because i've got all my stuff with me i've been uh, oh, away for six right. weeks yeah i've got all my podcast gear i've got all my i've been on a mountain and as i'm unloading the car that jesus and satan mama guy has gone upstairs right above me and is just muttering blah 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 show me state blah 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 show me and for those of you who don't know referring to your vehicle my license plate yeah i'm from missouri originally so my car is titled in missouri as i realized he was muttering about me i looked up and he like looked away from me eating his burger and i was like oh my god i am gonna die oh it's so creepy (laughs) i know god i I know i really have nothing to say about that other than god you can really bring the mood down (laughs) <laughs> because we had an amazing guest and I can't believe that you missed out on this guy because that like, little bit did... of positivity that June Lee brings to the table, especially in his like zebra checked. What was it, Emily? We were there together. Emily, our producer, and I ran this whole episode by ourselves because um, Jess wasn't there and I definitely need a, somebody to hold my hand on every single episode. And if Jess isn't here, we definitely don't do anything without our producer, Emily. And he had like, it wasn't zebra. It was some kind of a Jaguar printed sheet or something. I wish you could have been there to see it. It would have just brightened your day. I want to know, tell me more about this episode with June. Cause I didn't get to do it. I didn't get to see it. I didn't get to listen to it yet. And I just like, tell me your favorite part of this. Uh, not your favorite part. Cause then we'll give it away for the listeners, but tell me, tell me about the episode. What was it like? What was he I'm going like? to tell you what I'll tell you. I'll, let me just give you the basics, right? I'm going to give you the rundown because like, I'm going to let the episode speak for itself. Or I'm going to let Emily actually, who, who found this guy, this kid, he's a young man, um, uh, sports reporter worked at Bleacher Report. Now he's at ESPN and he's based out of New York city, originally from the Boston area where our, producer Emily's from originally previously worked for Bleach Report as I said before and he uh, wrote for the Washington Post the Ringer uh, SB Nation but again like he's interviewing some of the coolest cats on the baseball field right now um, he's got some stories about uh, some some big time stars that he's interviewed in his past and also like you know that he's got some stuff coming up and you know he's written about some people that I am a big fan of like Jimmy Garoppolo for the uh, for the Patriots, he used to be the backup for the Patriots. And we got a, had a nice conversation about that. He wrote a great piece about that that was featured and that kind of like, you know, brought him up um, a little bit. But we, we chit-chatted a lot about how it's um, hard to be a young man in kind of a, an old man's game and mm. to be so young in this world um, being so young and like touted as like a, a really great sports journalist Uh, at such a young age and like what that's like it's really cool emily do you have anything to say about that because i know that you guys you guys had chit chat a little bit uh prior to the podcast episode yeah it's pretty cool i mean i would also say andrew was the the perfect person to be the single host for this episode because 
I'm not much of a sports fan. I mean, I grew up in the Boston area, so I'm a have to be sports fan. But yeah, um, that seems that seems like blasphemy or something. Like, Tom Brady I mean, for life. That's what we're doing here. Exactly. Tom Brady. Well, I don't know but what I accent that was. June, um, I also know June because he is Korean American, and we and being Chinese American myself, we've talked about Asian American identity and um, how it shows up in career and work and your in your day to day and. Um, definitely was an interesting conversation on multiple different fronts. I mean, he's a super smart kid. Like he's just, he's really brilliant. I've been following him on Twitter and I, I actually made a list for us of like all our guests. So I've been looking at that list every day and I love, I mean, I too, like Emily, I love sports, but pretty and like, a, like a mile away. You know what I mean? I'll definitely watch the chiefs on Sundays, but I don't know details like you do Andrew, or I'm sure obviously like June does. Um, but I love the way he tweets about sports. I really, really like it. It's cool. It's, it's like, it makes it relevant um, it's not so tied to just statistics and facts. Do you know what I mean? He, as we always say on this podcast, I don't know if you guys talked about it, but like he does, him, he does himself, you know what I mean? He brings so much of himself into his Twitter feed. I'm like, ah, oh, I really enjoy doing this. So I hope like, man, I know it's a long haul sometimes cause he's so young, but I hope that he'll be a part of changing that industry, you know? For the better. I hope so too. It's it's really fascinating too the way he um, brings his own emotion to it, which he, he writes for a, like kind of a younger generation. It isn't you know that stoic kind of uh, uh, statistician kind of a mindset. It's actually there's some humanity in the stories that he's telling, and even when he is um, you know rattling off statistics and things like that, there's there's a, like a a softness to it. You know, it's like a there's a there's a love, there's a passion. You can see that he's curating some kind of a new. Uh, environment for the listener and the reader out there. It's just, it's really cool. And especially in a, an aged and um, sometimes gets in trouble all the time for a pace of play, kind of a sport like baseball, he, mm. he brings like a real voice to it that gives it, you know, kind of a new life in the, in the interim of like waiting for the next pitch or something like that. He brings like a voice to the whole thing, which is really cool, which is, I, I, I was fascinated to hear him talk about that. I can't wait to listen to this episode, y'all. Uh, so go over to Twitter, follow us at TM2C Podcast to leave us a video ask for an upcoming guest, and then uh, sit down, buckle in, grab a cup of coffee for this episode. Up take me to coffee with June Lee. God, Jess, that story was crazy. Are you kidding me? This is my first time hosting by myself, so let's go with that. We ready? Cool. Sounds good. Let's do this. Super How's it excited going? to have you on the show today. Take me to coffee. Normally on Take Me to Coffee, we have two hosts, but today I've been relegated to the duty of one host because our uh, our other wonderful, illustrious host, Jessica Ryan, has uh, unfortunately been abandoned by the internet in Oregon somewhere. It's a terrible day. It's a terrible day for all of us. So you're stuck with me today on this podcast, me and June Lee. Sports writer, ESPN, just came over from Bleacher Report. Dude, what's going on? What are you doing this morning? How's it going? Thanks for having me. I am sitting in my bed in my apartment in New York City. That's what I'm doing. That's amazing. That's the best way to have a podcast interview, right? Yeah, it's pretty good. I feel pretty comfy right now, honestly. Fantastic. Yeah, okay. What are you up to these days? How's ESPN? Uh, I, things are going well. I mean, I'm three-ish months into this new job, and I've uh, definitely been traveling a lot more than I have been in the past. Uh, so that's been a lot of fun. And Definitely a little tiring, so just kind of getting used to that lifestyle has been uh, has been really really good. Uh, but otherwise, I, don't, I I really don't have any complaints. Yeah, things are going well That's so fantastic. far. Fantastic. What do you what do you find hard about being on the road? Uh, it's definitely just kind of finding ways to entertain yourself when there's like you're in a city where you don't really know any other people. So 
For example, yeah. like I visited uh, Cleveland, Ohio for the All-Star game for the first time. And obviously I had a ton of media friends there who, who I know from just work. But you're also in new cities all the time. And when you're on the beat, like I, I work with a, a bunch of people on the Red Sox beat who are not necessarily my age or necessarily have the same interests as me. And so, you know, I'm in cities all the time and I need to find something to do. So sometimes it's going to art museums. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, eating good food. Uh, always trying to find something to do and trying to find new ways to explore new cities. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what are your interests outside of writing, sports writing? Uh, so, I mean, I watch a lot of movies with my roommate. So that's one of them. Uh, I love sneakers. Sneakers are something that I, I Yeah. I love all right. Sneakerhead. Okay, okay. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I mean, there's something that that definitely came over partially from Bleacher Report, but I've always loved sneakers my entire life. And then I love Star Wars. I love music. There's a, there's a whole yeah, variety of things. Yeah, nerdtastic. I love it, man. That's fantastic. All right, yeah. so about Star Wars, let's get into that for one second. We're going to birdwalk all over the place today. It's me hosting this thing, not Jess. She's usually one that stays on task, so I'm going to be all over the place. Cool, let's do um, it. So Star Wars, how do you feel about episodes six, five, six, seven? Uh, so like the new trilogy. I I So... Wait, we're talking about the the. No, OG I'm talking trilogy. about I'm talking about New Hope. I'm talking about these uh, Christian. Yeah, so uh, my what's his name. My, I'm talking the just the ugh, what I felt like was a nightmare. Yeah, my first my first Star Wars movies was was Empire Strikes Back. Yes. Okay. My mom got it for me at the library on VHS, and uh, she she figured it was something that like a lot of kids at school would be talking about just because she'd grown up on it. And so I watched Star Wars and I fell in love with it. Uh, and so I went to the library and kind of got a bunch more VHS tapes and I you know, got the action figures. And this was around the time the prequels were coming out. And yeah. so my friends and I at the time, we were in elementary school, middle school. We we're basically just uh, we, we'd kind of go over to each other's houses and like create many Star Wars with our action figures and stuff. So that's phenomenal. Your own narratives. Yeah, totally. And then as as you kind of grow up, like I found a different love of Star Wars and kind of just seeing how the technical side of movies worked and. You know, yeah. all of the work and the people that work on those movies that kind of go into making it as extravagant and as awesome as it is. Uh, and, yeah. and so from there, it kind of got me more interested in kind of the technical process of making movies. And uh, in, in a lot of ways, I think it's just kind of helped fuel my lifelong love of movies and uh, kind of narrative storytelling. So that's it's, fantastic. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely something that I've, I've always loved. Okay. That's cool. So, okay, like we explained earlier in the episode, June has come over from Bleacher Report, but you also have written for quite a few other uh, outlets. I mean, you got the Washington Post on here, you got Ringer, you've got all these other uh, amazing sports outlets, but um, new technical sports outlets like Bleacher Report has like only recently come into fashion within the last like what, year and a half, two years, three years, somewhere in there? So I, I would say BR has probably started its rise in the last 10 years, starting with its app. But I would say in terms of like mainstream, like really breaking through probably happened in the last five years or so. Yeah. Okay. Because I mean, when I started following Instagram, it was like, it was like maybe a couple of years ago. You know, I'd, I'd seen yeah, the app a absolutely. few times and I've written, I've heard some stories and things, you know, there was some really great reporting coming out of this, some really good stuff, some deep stuff. Yeah, Totally. Something that Bleach Report has done that's been really interesting is kind of treating uh, the social media platforms like their own places to put out content for their audience. And yeah. they've really resonated with a lot of people. And uh, something that always struck me when I was working at Bleach Report was when I would be at a sporting event and I'd be talking to you know people my age, people younger than me, and seeing how many people resonated with Bleach Report and how, how much it was it was resonating with young people was, was always really fascinating to watch, uh, especially as someone, you know, who'd go into the office every single day and you kind of feel like you're in a bubble and you're just kind of working for the sake of working for your coworkers, for yourself, whatever. 
you know, then you go out into the real world and you see all these people who are affected by it. It was, it was definitely really cool to see. That's really cool. So when you're on the road and stuff like that, do you do you uh, get a lot of people being like, oh my God, that story that you wrote on da da da? No, that, absolutely. That, the interview process, you don't get any of that yet? No, absolutely not. No, 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 <laughs> okay. no. More so just like when I'm talking to strangers or like I'm with like my family or something and I'm talking to them about like working at Bleacher Report. Like that's more the reaction. I'm not at all saying like I'm going to cities being stopped <laughs> by people. Absolutely not. Well, listen, I mean, one day it's going to happen though, right? I mean, there's got to be, there's going to be. I don't know about that. I'm still. Just Come on. Okay. This day. is what I want. This is one thing I wanted to ask you about. The, the, the Superman reference to the Jimmy Garofalo story is kind of where I found like I found the most interesting about you because you do some like really, you know, you dig in there a little bit. And in your reporting. And I think that's a really diligent thing to do. And I love that. I love that piece. But I guess I had picked it up on uh, when you were on um, The Herd. Where were you at? And you were with Colin and some other guys. And you had done a, like a inter- radio interview with them. And you had talked about a piece. Yeah, I did a whole bunch of radio interviews uh, for that story. It was, it was kind of crazy. I mean, I first kind of got really interested in that story because, you know, I grew up in Boston, uh, in New England, kind of as a Patriots fan. I, I kind of been following Jimmy's entire career, especially when the – speculation about whether or not Tom Brady's career was beginning to come to end and start popping up (laughs) within the last 10 years. And obviously he's still playing, but uh, you know, I, I was always interested in kind of Jimmy's career arc and where things were going. And I'm always interested in kind of the quarterbacks that, that Bill Belichick is interested in. You know, I, I kind of very closely been following Jimmy's career. And so when he got trained in San Francisco, there had to be a story there. And so I was always just kind of fascinated by what it must be like to back up the greatest quarterback of all time or arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. And, so kind of, I'll, I'll give and, you and just seeing the day-to-day, you know, movement behind the scene and how someone that great works on a day-to-day basis. Right. Uh, and then there was, then there was also just the fact that like, I didn't know anything about Jimmy Garoppolo as a sports fan personally. And so okay. I wanted to know what makes this guy tick, who makes this guy, the person that he is, what are his values and how is that going to eventually affect him on the football field because you know as much as we love talking about as a nation about athletes and kind of putting them on pedestals i think a lot of people forget that these guys are people too their personalities often kind of in one form or another they're often comes to reflect their production and personality on the field yeah that's phenomenal so that was a funny thing to me that you say you had said um it was that uh you know he's like this diligent worker he's he is very much like a uh a tom brady where he comes in early leaves late he stays at the practice facility all the time but then you had said this one thing about him being a uh him dating maybe a porn star yes at one point so so what happened with that story was kind of crazy so i had been working on that story uh for probably six months at that point and in the days leading up to that story publishing literally two or three days before it comes out on tmz that jimmy had gone on a day with a porn star and so (laughs) Like, that's not a situation anyone prepares for, especially, like, as you're coming up in journalism. Like, you don't ever expect, like, someone you're writing 6,000, you know, writing a 6,000-word draft on to ever be going on a date with a porn star in the days leading up to your story coming out. And so my editors and I talked about that, and we're like, how do we address this? Because, like, obviously it needs to be addressed because it's everyone is talking about it. And so we basically just kind of threw a line in there, basically being like, hey, this happened. (laughs) And I didn't really have any other information beyond that. And we kind of moved on. (laughs) You acknowledge and then you just let it go. I mean, it definitely played a role in just how people receive the story and just people's interest in the story. But yeah, I mean, I had no idea that Jimmy was going to go on a date with a porn star and then it happened. 
And so That's we so just kind of dealt with it as it came. Yeah. yeah. So uh, are you still in contact? I mean, well, uh, kind of. Intended. Uh, it, felt, it felt good. So, <laughs> it felt natural. Um, I mean, it, it's kind of complicated. I mean, so with reporters, you always have to maintain relationships, but you also can't get too close to subjects. You got to maintain a level of uh, professional distance there just because, you know, the nature of the job is praising, but also criticizing athletes and you never know what's going to happen. I, I've just learned that, especially in sports, you just really never know what's going to happen. Like something crazy is always around the corner. And right. so, I mean, for me, it's, it's it's always just trying to maintain that professional distance while also trying to obviously do a good job. Well said, my friend. Well said. Uh, well, listen, hey, man, so talking about things that are crazy around the corner, we actually have our first question for you. Yeah, hit me. Let's go. Hey, it's Will from Austin. Which athlete gave you the most butterflies in your stomach when you were interviewing them? Good question. That is a really good question. Yeah, I would say the easy answer for me would be David Ortiz. Uh, he was my Ooh. childhood hero. I think this is a pretty good story. Uh, I was interning at WEI.com before college, and I was about to become a U.S. citizen. I was born in the U.S., outside of the U.S., I was on the verge of becoming a U.S. citizen. I was talking to my editor slash boss, and he was t telling me that I should find some way to channel that energy and the excitement into writing a story. It was coming up on the 4th of July. Basically came up with the idea because Ortiz had become a U.S. citizen in the past, I think, five years at that point. And I, I was just kind of curious, you know, why he decided to become a citizen and what it meant to him. So I went up to him and asked him for an interview, and he was definitively my childhood hero. And I went up to him, and we talked, and we... We ended up talking for about 10 minutes on the Fenway Park dugout steps. And I just remember feeling in my stomach like it was just going to fall out. You know, like all of my intestines were just going to like fall on the ground because I was so right, nervous. Literally poop your pants. You're right. Totally. Yeah. And we're sitting on the top step of the Red Sox dugout and I was 18, 19 years old. And I was sweating like crazy because not only was I nervous, but it was the summer uh, yeah. We were on the first step of the Red Sox dugout, and there was a bunch of Red Sox fans there for batting practice who wanted to see David Ortiz and videotaped the entire interview. So not only was I interviewing him for myself for the story, but there was also like this crowd of like 30 people who wanted to see David Ortiz and were taking pictures of him. And so like... But inadvertently of you. Yeah. And so like as a 19-year-old who uh, didn't necessarily figure out how to you know talk to people in public settings yet... It was a whole lot of just like a lot of things happening at once that was very hard to process. And so that's definitely the most nervous I've ever felt. Oh, that is phenomenal. What a great time. And speaking of being nervous, um, you talked about something earlier that was interesting to me is that you are a very young sports writer, right? So you're, you're, you're what now? 20, 24, 23, 24? Yeah, I'm 24. Okay, 24. So you're 24 years old. But what is it to be like in such a weird um, cast system inside sports writing that is essentially a bunch of old white guys? I mean, essentially, yeah. right? What What is that? Yeah. What is that paradigm like for you to come in as a young Asian American man and to be like, guys, I'm here. Let's go. Is that inspiring? Is it frightening? Is it like kind of like I'm breaking the system or are you just trying to find your way? I think it's on a day-to-day -day basis. It's really just trying to find my way. Just trying to like make it through the day. I mean, it's interesting because like I grew up in Boston. Sports was just like part of my DNA growing up. And so I didn't realize that like being a sports writer was this goal that was really only obtained by mostly white people in this country, white men in this country. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it definitely played a role kind of consciously thinking about how I wanted to approach my career. I mean, you got to factor in all those things. It's, it's, it's all stuff that you think about. 
but you also can't let it affect you because the second it lets you you let it affect you is the second it starts to control you and kind of the decisions that you make. And I, I always wanted to make sure that the decisions I were, was making, I was doing for the best interests of myself instead of trying to please other people. But you also, right. you know, there's a balancing act there because at the end of the day, like in these kinds of industries, there's gatekeepers or guardians and you have to make sure that you know how to talk to the right people. And you also have to make sure that you're making genuine connections with people. That was kind of the thing that uh, I listened to my mom about a lot kind of growing up okay. was just making sure to treat people the right way. Absolutely. Especially as a minority in the in the industry, you know, I always stick out at the ballpark um, just because I'm one of the only non-white people there usually on a day-to-day basis. And so because you know that there's more people looking at you sometimes just because of the nature of who you are, uh, I just try to carry myself in the best way possible on a day-to-day basis. I respect that. Absolutely. Yeah. And hope that it eventually pays off on the work end. But really, like... I'm just trying to focus on getting through the day and uh, trying to be nice to people. Yeah. Listen, man, I want to loop in our producer on this one. Emily, I want to get your thoughts on this whole thing too, being an an Asian American woman. Well, I am coming in um, kind of also helping out Jess because she had some questions in particular, but I mean, June, you and I, we've met before we've worked on this other project before and we both happen to be from neighboring cities, actually growing up pretty much next door from each other. You know, as like a young person, this show is all about mentorship and we're really thinking about how to be a mentor for other people, how to receive mentorship and kind of make that, you know, happen throughout all industries. What is it like being like 24 and probably a mentor to a lot of people? I know you've spoken on panels, right? You've spoken publicly about your work and your job. What's that like? Uh, It's all very weird because I like still feel like a kid from Brooklyn, Massachusetts, uh, who's like terrified in kindergarten. I don't know. Like that, that part of me is still in there. And so like, it's, it's just all a very weird experience. Like I was just at the, um, Asian American Journalists Association conference and it was, it was an incredibly humbling experience to have in not only like people my age, but people older than me coming up to me and saying very nice things about my work. And I've always been really bad at taking compliments. I think that might be something that is just like inherent within Eastern Asian culture is to just like inherently deflect all that stuff. And uh, I've definitely (laughs) been trained my entire life to do that. Uh, When I was getting mentored, and I'm still getting mentored, I always ask questions from not only like my professional mentors, but my friends. It's not like you're in a situation and someone's like, I am mentoring you right now. This is how it's going to go down. Uh, It just kind of happens. It's just a relationship. And so whenever I had questions, I always tried to figure out who the best person to ask them was. You know, through high school, I was always very bad at asking questions. And through a variety of things that happened in high school, like I learned that I really needed to ask for help when I needed to. My mom drilled that into me. And if I had a question about something, I just always made sure to ask it and try not to act too smart. <laughs> and uh, it's really helped me out. And I've learned, a, I've learned a lot from it. And I've developed some amazing friendships and mentorships with people that I really respected growing up. And it's been an amazing experience just to be able to being able to ask questions from the people that you looked up to growing up and having them answer now and trying to at least spread that information to people who might be able to use it is a uh, It's pretty awesome, honestly. Very cool. I mean, I relate to so many of the things you're saying about like identity and just an Eastern Asian culture, like growing up in that. It's amazing how that dictates like 
how you approach everything, right? Yeah, totally. Identity is, yeah, absolutely everything. I definitely really want to highlight because I know this personally, but I know Andrew might not. We've talked about how your Korean heritage and your Korean language and basically your identity has also impacted and changed different things in your career as well. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in in Boston, but I was born in Seoul in 1995. I, I moved to the U.S. when I was two months old because uh, my dad was uh, getting his PhD at Boston University. Up in, And I realized like we, we only stayed in the United States because uh, the company my dad was working for went bankrupt because of the Asian financial crisis. Or after like I finally processed as an adult what had happened, understanding kind of the the economic and the political implications of what had happened, uh, I realized like I'm only in this country because of something that's like so far out of my control. Like literally, the economy of half the world basically Just went tanked. into the garbage yeah. Oh, for yeah. a little bit. Yeah, and that's the only reason why I'm in the United States permanently like that's really it and so i feel like i'm playing with house money at this point it it definitely influences everything i do because just naturally as an immigrant i have a different perspective on this country because i've i grew up seeing korea every single day you know having family over there like when i'm writing about athletes like you're writing about a whole variety of people that people in america worship then i like facetime my grandma or my aunt who live in korea and they have no idea who i'm writing about and like that puts it all into perspective for me i have always kind of viewed myself as a little bit of an outsider and i think it's definitely kind of influenced kind of the approach that i take in my work on a day to day basis and that definitely stems from just the fact that you know i didn't grow up an american citizen <laughs> and that's just part of you know my journey in this country and my family's journey in this country do you talk sometimes with other um players cuz there's a lot of baseball players especially you know from um like you know cuba and uh, puerto rico a lot of dominican republic there's a lot of um foreign born baseball players is there kind of a kinship that you guys share with them? Is it easier to talk to them or is there some kind of a, uh, like an approachability there? Is that, does well, it- so w- when we're thinking about this, we have to remember that most of the people in the clubhouse are older, like four year olds, white dudes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's not all baseball writers, but that right. is who most baseball writers are. And so naturally by just not being a white dude, I immediately am memorable to all of these athletes just by not being another white guy. That is definitely an advantage. And for me, just being 24 and watching the things that these guys watch and listening to the music these guys watch, like literally just being my age is an advantage. Like having friends who are in my in, in their 20s and 30s. Yeah, I mean, any kind of common ground, yeah. All of that stuff kind of plays into it. For me, it's just like baseball is the most diverse sport in this country and that you have people from all over the world coming to the United States to play in a way that I think is different from every other sport. It's not the same in basketball. Uh, football, hockey, obviously. The way that the sport is covered, it, it's predominantly through like an American player lens. And I often think that there's just such a missed opportunity with all these Latin guys, with all these guys from Asia. They have incredible stories of coming over here and sacrificing in order to make money and make it in this country. There's no other sport that I've been around, including the NBA and the NFL, where you have guys who come from so many different backgrounds. There's so many different stories and they're just not being told in the sport. And, uh, you know, for me, I just hope to spot a light on some interesting stories, whether that's American people or people from Latin America or wherever. That's what I hope to do with my job. I mean, that's pretty concise. Emily, you got something? Very put together. Speaking of, of people, actually, you also covered Chloe Kim, right? Totally, yeah. Yeah, so I had an opportunity to go to the Olympics two years ago 
And that was a fascinating experience. The Olympics were in Pyeongchang, South Korea, which is, I think it was like an hour and a half, almost two hour train ride from Seoul. And so I'd never been there before. Um, and I was 22 when I went over there and my editors at BR had asked me to go to the Olympics like three months into my new job. I was the only one who went for a company. And so I kind of had to figure things out for myself while I was over there. It was crazy. I mean, I hadn't spoken that much Korean and like needed to for survival's sake in a very long time. And I'd, I'd never been to Korea without my parents. So like that within itself was like a cultural experience. And then having the opportunity to cover Chloe, I mean, Chloe will be one of the most important career American athletes ever, Asian American athletes ever, just because of her mainstream breakthrough success. And uh, I mean, her performance, her performance right. at the Olympics was groundbreaking. Not only was she, did she have the incredible snowboarding performance, which was, you know, a sight to behold in person, especially to watch. But she was tweeting from the, from the lift. She was eating ice cream while talking to the media reporters. It was a whole thing. And I remember sitting there in Korea and just thinking to myself, like, man, I can't believe that a Korean American is holding up an American flag and like and doing this for America. And I am also in Korea as a Korean American reporter reporting this in my first language that I was in a country that I was born in where I'm no longer a citizen. Like, I'm a Korean American covering another Korean American. That's like not really a thing that happens very often, especially in sports. And so to like be in that moment and then be around Chloe's parents and seeing how touched they were and clearly how much work they had put in to get to that moment and how it all paid off in one form or another, it, uh, it really made me self-reflect on my own journey and just kind of seeing how far Korean Americans had come. I, in that moment, it was just like I felt nothing but like national pride and just so much uh, gratitude for all the sacrifices my parents had made for me. God, that is amazing to hear. Uh, I do want to kind of transition a little bit, talking about asking questions and getting advice and things like that. We have another question. As a writer, you can be your own biggest critic. What was the best piece of writing advice you've ever received? Oh, man, that's a good question. Uh, I think right? to circle back around to my parents again, like it, it's really that like big words don't mean that you're smart and trying to be as simple as possible. Because I realized quickly, if I used big words around my parents, especially my mom who came over here in her mid-20s and, you know, spoke a little English, but, you know, didn't know how to speak English at all, really. Like, she knew words, but not really how to put together sentences in the cultural context and all that stuff. I realized pretty quickly that, like, the best way to communicate was just trying to be as simple as possible. And my dad knows a lot of words. He studied English in college in Korea, and uh, he speaks kind of perfect textbook grammar English, uh, which he admits himself, and uh, okay. has, has, has a very big vocabulary. And uh, it kind of settled in quickly, like, the best way to communicate is just making sure that the other person understands you. Uh, I definitely got caught up in this in college, and I think a lot of people get caught up in this college, is trying to sound as academic and as smart as possible. And I don't necessarily think that makes good writing. You know, as, just because you have a billion syllables in your sentence doesn't make it smart, right? All that matters mm. at the end of the day is the idea rather than how you sound saying it, I think. So right, right, I would right. say it's that. What do you think about, and I'm just kind of really going off the rails here, the political climate that we're in right now, talking about words and how important they are. How do you feel about yeah. today's political climate and like how words affect the mass of people that are out there kind of like getting this misinformation or misguided information or whatever. How do you feel about that as a journalist? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's just really important to make sure that you know what you're saying. And like, that sounds so simple, but I feel like so many people don't understand the cultural context behind words, how it affects other people. And I think as much as it's important to know what a word means and kind of communicating what you're saying, I think it's also incredibly important to kind of understand how it affects other people. Because at the end of the day, we're all working between people and working with each other, especially in a political climate like today. What offends people and what doesn't and why does it offend people? And that's really as simple as that. Right, right. Okay, so here we go. It's question three. Please, let's go to question three because I think this is a, this is a fun and important question and June will have a great answer for it. If you had a time machine to go back in sports history, what moment would you pick? Oh man, that's so hard. Or pick a couple. Like let's let's just go through. Let's what are your what are the three that pop into your mind immediately? So one of the biggest mysteries in baseball history is whether or not Babe Ruth called his homework against the Cubs in the World Series. I would want to just go back in time to see Babe Ruth play, right? Because we've seen so much like grainy footage of him just like uh-huh. waddling around the bases that like right. I want to see like loping what... slowly. Yeah, right. Like everyone talks about he's an American icon and an American legend. What does the dude like like look like in person? Right. I just want to know that. Okay. Does he live up to the hype? I assume the question, the answer is yes. But regardless, I want to see if Babe Ruth lives up to the hype. Um, I want to see Will Chamberlain's 100-point game because there's no video footage of it. And also, Will Chamberlain was like a foot taller than everyone else in the NBA at the time. It's really just seeing stuff that like it wasn't humanly possible for me to see. Um, right. I don't know. It's, it's, too tr- it's too crazy to be believed, like that kind of thing? Yeah. I mean, we I don't have, have video footage of it? I would have loved to have seen like early career Michael Jordan live and to right before the Jordan one was, was released and uh, his rookie season... And then kind of seeing the before and after of Michael Jordan's life after that shoe was released and how this whole celebrity thing changed his life. Are you going to start your own outlet that has to do with what sneakers, like level of sneakery, has to do with what player at what time period? I think that's such a cool thing to think about. You're like, oh my God, that guy was really solid then. Then he had his own shoes come out. And then now it's a little more trite that you see like players who are like, oh no, I had a great season. And then they get shoe contracts. But like you see these epic players, Steph Curry, Michael Jordan, you know, all these, all these people who are uh, LeBron, you know, things like that. And you go, these have these huge contracts. What are their years like um, coinciding with their shoe releases? Yeah. I, Since you're a sneakerhead. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but like, it, it's interesting to me. The news coverage around sneakers has definitely gotten more professionalized in the last like five years. There's a lot more media companies who are investing in sneaker content. So like at Bleach Report, uh, it was run by uh, my friend Rooney Choi, who's also an Asian American, uh, and he runs BR Kicks. Uh, at ESPN, we have a show called Sneaker Center on ESPN Plus, and Nick DePaula does an amazing job uh, covering the sneaker industry and kind of its relationship to athletes and all the money that gets exchanged from it. Because, you know, as much as LeBron James get you, you know gets paid by the Lakers and the Cavaliers, he has a lifetime contract with Nike. He is a yeah. Nike employee who happens to play for the Los Angeles Lakers. Right. Uh, that's that's the reality of a lot of these at least, especially the top tier athletes is they make a lot of money off of sneakers. Uh, and it's all important in the business of it, because as, as more and more athletes become or at least try to become moguls, you know, try to run production companies and do Silicon Valley investments and, and all that stuff. Uh, it's going to be really important for them to generate find other streams of revenue off the field. And obviously, sneakers is one of them. Uh, and so. 
I, it, it all plays into it. it. There's just so much money in sports right now. It's the biggest niche in America. I know. It's so wild to me. And it runs everything. It's so funny. Um, we got one more question, and I'd love for you to, to hear what you have to say about it. Hey, I'm Topher from New York, and I have a question. Uh, are you following the successes of my cousins, Stephen Cupcho and Jennifer Cupcho, the golfers? I am a huge golf fan. Uh, I am a, a golf fanatic as well. I play a lot. And uh, this is a really interesting question for me. I'm going to be honest. I don't really follow golf. Perfectly fine. <laughs> I just don't really follow golf. I know the guys. I just don't follow the sport. Right. I know a little bit about Stephen Cupcho, but I definitely know more about uh, Jennifer. Sorry, Jennifer Cupcho. I know a little more about her. She played at Wake Forest and she's, you know, uh, won the, uh, the individual NCAA title this last year. And um, it's interesting to me. Uh, June, let's. Yeah, I just don't follow golf. Yeah, he's I'm like, sorry. I don't follow. I don't he's got nothing. He's literally like, nah, nah, yeah, I really nah, just don't have an opinion here. Yeah. <laughs> I love it's it. It's like mentorship has turned over to Andrew. Yeah, it's, and that's <laughs> a terrible thing to have. Show. Yeah, if we flip the script, you don't want any part of that. Well, listen, June, man, do you have any um, upcoming projects or anything that you want to plug up here on our podcast? No, nothing in particular. I mean, the Reds, you can follow my coverage on the Red Sox. Their season okay. is kind of falling apart. Uh, Ooh, I am a Yankees fan, so yeah. we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Red Sox season is uh, falling apart a little bit, swept by the Yankees in four games over the weekend. Uh, other than that, you can follow me on Twitter or on Instagram. Yeah, where can we follow you at? Sure, yeah, I'm at June Lee on Twitter, J-O-O-N, and then uh, at June on Instagram. That is fantastic. June, thank you so much for coming on today, man. We really appreciate it. Thanks for waking up early for us, and uh, <laughs> I wish you all the best walking 10 feet to go to work. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> Thanks, Emily. What is up, everybody? TM2C Podcast. We just had June Lee on. What a phenomenal individual. So young, 24 years old, already a sports writer, has worked at Bleacher Report and currently worked at ESPN covering uh, mostly the, the Red Sox and baseball. What an interesting guy, right, Emily? Yeah, definitely. And like, especially as a you know, similarly young Asian American from, from the Boston area, like it's so cool to see your peers doing these amazing things. And I don't know if he really realizes like how right and i think that's one of the things i took away from the episode mostly is that he is so dedicated and just really about his writing and the, the interesting stories that he's trying to follow that he kind of just like creates uh his own narrative in uh in the world you know in a predominantly white male driven line of work which is what you know sports journalism has been for the longest time especially in baseball it, it's it's amazing to see a young asian american man really like make a name for himself at a pretty young age yeah definitely speaking from experience of being from the boston area i agree with everything he says about boston sports except that <laughs> i don't watch any of them it's like you're just a boston you're a boston fan because you're a boston fan you're born into it. I mean, it's like he said. It was uh, in the episode. He had said it was. It's part of the culture in certain cities, and Boston being one of the oldest cities in the United States, it is definitely sewn into the fabric of you know. You wake up, you walk around, you see everything: Patriots, Red Sox, it's uh, and Celtics. It's just it's it's kind of an amazing thing. But it's also you know if you don't like any of those teams, you're gonna get inundated with that. I am. Um story when I was mm -hmm. I don't know probably like third grade fourth grade I got Jason Veritek to sign my pillowcase on Halloween <laughs> so did you go to Jason Veritek's house for Halloween and then ask for an autograph yeah well it was 
like a thing. Everybody's like, oh, <laughs> oh Jason okay. Veritex house. So he's not. Like, he's not passing out. He's not passing out candy. He's just passing out autographs. No, he did both. It was like, oh, Jason Veritex house is around the corner. Like we gotta go. So we go. There's like a crowd of kids and their parents all like inside my pillowcase. Oh, that is amazing. What? Oh my God. So unfortunately today, TM2 Sears, we didn't have Jess Ryan on the episode today because she is in rural Oregon without internet. Don't leave home without your internet, folks. So head on over to Twitter and follow us at TM2C Podcast to ask your questions for our upcoming guests or leave a question for Jess and I and our brilliant producer, Emily. This is our first hostless, well not hostless, single hosted episode. So if you enjoy it, Follow us out, man. That's what we do. We're here for you. Mentorship. Build it. And that is it for our Take Me to Coffee episode with June Lee. Now it's your turn. One, check out new episodes every Thursday on your favorite podcasting area thingy-majiggy, as long as it's not Area 51 podcasting, because that's not for us. Two, for special bonus content, including June's bed. Oh, God, we have to talk about this a little bit. If you go over to Patreon, you can see it. Um, subscribe to Patreon, and you can see June in his bed with his wonderful coiffed bed head and his glasses and you know when people wake up in the morning and you see they're a little part of them you see his leopard spotted ikea sheets and it's actually quite enjoyable he's a really great guy join our coffee club over at patreon to see all of that at www.patreon.com backslash tm2c podcast your contribution helps us continue to make this podcast with you and completely ad free Three, download these episodes and leave us a review so that the corporate overlords at Intelligentsia, which is our favorite coffee company, will sponsor us and give you discounts on coffee and everything else that you could possibly want from a coffee purveyor. So this is Andrew without Jess and our brilliant producer. This is Emily. And we'll see you next. We'll see you next. So good. You're so good. They don't see things the same. To walk like two out the door, then you have magic. This podcast is presented by Mr. Dangerous and is part of the Broadway Unlocked Network. Find out more at www.broadwayunlocked.com. This episode was produced by Emily Ho. That's me. Check out my Instagram at mediaby.emily and say hi. This podcast is made possible by the hashtag TM2C Coffee Club on Patreon. Thank you to these folks and everyone who generously listens and supports us at patreon.com slash tm2cpodcast.